Hi, I'm David Russo. And I'm Jared Friesen. And this is My Friend the Philosopher. A series of conversations about encountering Jesus through friendship. In this episode, Jared and I discuss the various characters in Rembrandt's painting and how they represent different postures in the spiritual life. You and I are infatuated Mm. with this painting. Yes. We are at times obsessed. (laughs) (laughs) And throughout our friendship, I think you said last time, we have used this painting almost like an anchor Mm. to look at and say, oh, this is how I identify. Mm. I identify with this character or that character. Oh, I feel like I may be stoking the fire too much as of late, or I am hidden, or no, I feel like I'm basking in the light of love. And Mm. it's been a a beautiful imagery that we could pursue together. And one could look at this painting and say, it's just a painting. (laughs) It's a beautiful painting. But there's something about the characters, the three individuals that are so different, but have honestly some unique uh, traits that are like similar when I, when I think about them. And I think it would only be appropriate to really dive in and to, to really talk about who are these people? Yeah. How do they think? What do they believe? And um, I think the, the, the best way to start is the philosopher. He is the character of the painting. Yeah. He is the, the man in the light. He's the who gold. He? He's the gold, you know? He's the gold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's the, he's the destination that we're after, you know, he's, he's like the, the finish liner, the prize. And, Mm. um, yeah, he's, he's a weathered soul. You know, he has the aged face. You you could almost see deep wrinkles coming through the painting. Uh, His clothes look, you know, almost a little tattered. There could be, you know, some tiredness that you pick up from him. So he's seen a lot. This guy's, he's seen some things. It's taken some time to convince him to sit down. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's a good word. It's like he's, he's learned through life the consequences of not sitting, you know, that has, yeah, have led him to this moment to, to choose to rest. And to believe it's it's wisdom to do so. Mm. Yeah, and he's probably been the other two characters that we'll talk about many times in his life. And he knows the pain associated with those ways of life. But here he is, you know, hands folded in a position of 
attentiveness. You know, I think when you fold your fingers, when you fold your hands together, you're present. Your hands aren't busy. Like mm. I speak with my hands a lot. And it's, it's like this idea of, you know, kind of moving out into the world. Or when you fold your hands, it's almost like this signal, like I am here. I'm stationary. I'm present. I'm choosing to clasp together and be. The word that comes to mind is aware. Mm. He is, you know, although he is very present to where he is in the room and where his attention is, He's very aware of his surroundings. He's aware of himself. He's aware of the light that's consuming him, but he's also aware of his comrades around him. He's aware that, that there is light and there is darkness in the room. Yeah. Yep. And yet he chooses to sit and focus and bask on the thing that he believes is the most important, which is the light. And I I love referring to it as the light of love. It's just, it's the name that I have grown comfortable with. And in a way the, the light is, is a character in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since we're, you know, considering that the light is is the Father, it's, it's Jesus, it's His Spirit, it's, it's Yahweh, mm-hmm. and I I adore the comparison to God and light. Yeah. And there's three characteristics that I've really um, I've really like gleaned from when it comes to considering what light does for us. Mm-hmm. The first thing is that light exposes us. The man sitting in, in the chair is fully exposed. Every imperfection and every beauty of himself is seen. Mm. The man is, looks fairly comfortable. Mm. He looks warm. That, oh, just, I can, I can see it and feel it now. That morning sun mm-hmm. that just, when you sit in it long enough, if you sit in long enough, you almost get a little too hot. And then light purifies. If you sit long enough in light and heat, it'll begin to purify. And something that I found with the light is that if you, if you forget one of these three characteristics, you are easily tempted to sway towards other parts of the house. Yeah. Yeah. If you remember that the light exposes and comforts, but doesn't purify. Yeah. You can easily be stagnant. Mm. If you are, if you remember that the light comforts you and purifies you, you can be, pretty unaware of what it is even exposing. Yeah. How do you grow when you don't even know? Yeah. If you know that the light exposes you and purifies you, but does not comfort you, yeah. how ashamed does it feel? And man, I see this philosopher and as he's sitting, he is aware mm. that the light exposes him, comforts him, 
and purifies him. Yes. It's ever, he's trusting that. He, it's, he's trusting that it's going to be there too. You know, he's trusting that it's ever present, you know, mm. and it's accomplishing those three things all the time. Um, and I almost think of like the painting as it is a reflection of the soul in some ways. So he's positioning his soul at the window of light. He could choose to focus the attention of his soul in any other corner, you know, at any other mm-hmm. time. But that word trust, he's trusted, he's come to trust that it is good for his soul. It's good for his being to come to the window of light. And mm-hmm. it looks like he's probably been doing it every morning for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the, the sun rises and the sun falls you know, and, and coming to trust that God is a, is a consistent being. Yes. There's something about referring him to the sun, the physical sun. That's so good. It's just this idea that he, he rises and, and he falls always on time. You can, you can yes. build a calendar or a rule of life around him, around his movements and around his presence. And yeah, the, the philosopher I feel is like the attention of the soul in the painting, almost like his character is the soul of the painting in some ways. And it's, it's chosen to come to that window. The window, I think that almost can represent the spirit in his life. It's, it's the portal, you know, mm. it's the, the access point by which his soul is now being flooded with that divine light of love. Mm. So then when we talk about the second character, Mm. the servant of the house, the one near the fire, what what leads them there? What keeps them there? Mm. What are they thinking? What do they believe? And you very much, David, you out of the two other characters, you relate to this one Mm -hmm. more so. Yeah, for sure. It's because there is a form of light being produced. I think that's what's so tempting about this position. If you, you know, if you look at the bottom right of the painting, there's a little bit of fire coming out of that fireplace. There's a little bit of warmth coming from it. There's maybe it even could feel like it's a little bit of purification mm-hmm. happening from that light. But it's nothing compared with the light of the sun. So it's, it's a deceptive kind of light. It's also, yeah, a very exhausting kind of light because it takes a lot of tending on the servant's end. The servant has to do the majority or all of the work really to keep that, that fire burning. Mm. It has to provide the fuel. It has to provide the stoking, the energy, the prodding and poking it. It has to, to do all that work. Um, and How exhausting. So exhausting. So exhausting. It's, and it's busy. You know, it's hurried. It's frantic and chaotic. And it's worrisome because if I leave this for too long, it might go out. So I think that's what draws me to the false flame is the fear that it might go out if I don't tend it. Mm. I think that's what it is. That if I don't take the responsibility into my own hands, 
you know, into my own fire prodder and keep this thing burning? Will it be here when I wake up tomorrow? Yes. That's a very real fear. It's like, I say sometimes like I wake up with spiritual amnesia every day. You know, I could, I could go to sleep on the mountaintop of connection with God, but I'll wake up almost like I was tossed into the ocean, you know? And I, I'm trying to find shore again. Like, where, where did God go overnight? I need to do something. I need to put on some spiritual practice. I need to, to do something to reconnect myself with God. So it's, it's really a belief. You know, it's a belief that, is God trustworthy? Will he really be there tomorrow if I don't do something um, to make him appear tomorrow? I have to manifest him. I have to stir up that fireplace again. Wow. It sounds like there's a lot of effort, mm-hmm. but this character doesn't ever feel fully satisfied. Mm. Like there's a, an itch that is always saying more, more, mm. more. It's not bright enough. It's not big enough. It isn't warm enough. Yep. It isn't doing enough. Wow. Not enough. That's almost, that's the phrase of, yeah, the servant in the bottom corner. Just, I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. Yeah. And and that's why I feel like the character, the servant of the house and the the ghost-like figure on the stairwell are are fairly similar. Mm -hmm. They just choose to, they choose different paths. And, you know, we can oscillate back and forth between each position. Um, but with the, the, the character on the stairwell, they very much feel the same. Mm. I am not enough. Mm. I do not do enough. But instead of trying to create some sort of illusion or facade like the, the firekeeper, they believe that it's better just to hide. Mm that it is better to eliminate themselves emotionally, mentally, and maybe even physically. And I, I like to think of it as that they're just, they're, they're often so ashamed of who they deeply are. Mm. They're so ashamed of themselves that they must remove them from any source of light because if a speck of them is seen, what will happen? They've forgotten that the light is comforting. And what keeps them there is that this character stays in this, this, this pit of, of dull, lifeless hopelessness uh, because they're anxious of what happens if they were to leave it. Wow. They're anxious of, okay, if I do have the courage and if I am seen, well, What happens if they see this gash on my arm or this blemish on my face or what, what will people do with my imperfections? I like to think of it as the, the person on the stairwell has, has convinced themselves that there is a curtain above the window Mm. and that the light chooses when to expose itself and when to withhold itself. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not the case. That is, that's the farthest from the, the, the truth. You look at this old, old painting and 
this light is coming out when it when it wants to come out. Like you said, yeah. day at the same time, it rises and it falls. Mm-hmm. It's always there. It's faithful. But since this character on the stairwell is so ashamed and so anxious and so convinced that they will be harmed, they just sit there in hopelessness. And so their attempts are very little. Mm-hmm. They they try very little to, to, to move. And Do you think that's another similarity there? It's like they both are questioning if God is good and trustworthy in some ways. Like if I come into the light, will he actually do those things I thought he was going to do? Will he actually do the purification? Will he actually do the, the healing and the exposing? Or will it be burning? Will it be painful? Will it be, will it be scorching? And then the other one is like, for me, it's like, will he even be there at all? Mm. You know, will the light even be there if I, if I risk turning away from this little one that I've started and turn around, I have to make a turn and abandon this false flame and turn and trust and faith, you know, that that light will be there. And then the one on the stairwell is kind of saying like, if I come down, what will actually happen to me? Yeah. Like, is God actually the light I've heard that he is? Is he that type of light? Can I trust this type of light, this light, and take another step down the stairs? Yeah. And that's the, that's the story of the Bible. The question of the Bible, is God good? Mm. Can I trust this God who proclaims that he knows best, that his wisdom and his timing and his way is best for me? That is the question. Will the light hurt me? Will it damage me? Will it leave me? Yeah. It is a very, you know, I, I used to, to think that the question is God good was such a a ridiculous question. Of course, God's good. Of course. But the more I sit in it, I'm like, oh, so many of my poor decisions and my poor thought patterns and habits come from this, this well of thoughts and emotions and beliefs that do in fact consider, does he really care about me? Does he really know best. And I wonder if I wonder if Rembrandt considered this mm-hmm. when he designed this painting, specifically the structure of the house. Because if you if you notice how each character is placed in the structure of, of the house, you notice that the the the, the door is at the very top. Right. So to get to the st- to get to this window, to get to this seat, you have to open the door and walk past the stairwell and walk past the fireplace and walk towards the light and sit. Hmm. Which means not only are you saying yes to these things, to, this, to, to the light, but you're saying no. You're saying no. The stairwell and its facades and its false promises are not true. Right. No, the fire will not keep me warm. It will not satisfy me. No. 
my place is in this chair, basking in the light, and my responsibility is to look at him. Yeah. And like, like I just said, that's the that's the the Genesis story. Mm. That like, there's two trees in the garden, and in order to get to the the tree of life, you have to walk by the tree of yeah, knowledge, that's good, good and evil. That's good. You have to say no to taking control, to defining goodness for yourself and fully trust in God and saying his wisdom, his time, he cares for me. That feels like a everyday battle oh, for, for sure. the rest of our, and I think for that's sure. why, the, that's why you mentioned the philosopher is battered and bruised and, and his clothes are, are, are ripped. And, and that's why he's old and like, it's not a 30-year-old man with beautiful hair yeah. and gorgeous clothes. Right. Although, you know, we're, you know, we're close to 30 and we have nice clothes and we're aiming towards that, but we're far. We're far from being this master who sits in the chair every day. Totally. Totally. So I guess so the question I have for you, David, is if the goal is that we open the door and walk down the stairwell and past the fireplace rejecting what is the posture of rejecting these things mm. what is the posture that helps us turn away mm. from these things and sit in this 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 very high place in the chair yeah the 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 word that just keeps coming is trust it's a posture of trust because you're trusting something is going to be there around the corner that's the only reason we're motivated to ever make any move in our life. You know, like if a person loses hope, they don't get out of bed the next day because there's nothing around the corner for them. There's no finish. There's no arrival. There's nothing to arrive at if you lose hope. And so trust or faith, you know, is informed by our hope. We have to believe like something is down the stairs that's worthwhile to make that first step and the second step and the third step, and then to get close to the bottom of the stairs and not become a religious fanatic, you know, and not to become mm. pharisaical and say, I need to now do this on my own. I'm trying to get close to the light. And the way I'm going to do that is by provoking my own fire and stirring up my own, my own flame. There has to be a hope and, and steps of trust and faith to say, I'm going to actually keep going down each step and I'm going to walk right past that fireplace. And then I'm not just going to walk towards the window. I'm actually going to sit myself. I'm going to seat myself down in front of this window. Mm. Like that's all an act of trust. It, it's a total walk of trust. Mm. And, and I think that's what separates the philosopher from the other two characters that this, the man on the stairwell and the man at the fire, they're doing these physical things to hopefully find what they're looking for mm. where you and I, and all of us, we are relational beings, That's right? We're relational beings at our core. And the philosopher gets into that chair, not by this physical action that, Oh, I'm going to create this repetition in my life that is going to convince me. No, it is a choice. Yes. It's a thought in his mind that causes him to turn Mm. and move 
Why? Because he's no robot. He's a relational being that is designed for trust. Yes. And that is why it's so hard because we want the black and white. We want the mechanical. We want the easy routine thing that we can check the box and say, this is how I get into the light. But those mechanical routine things don't always reflect what is deep within our soul. Yeah. And soul, I think, is that key word because it's, 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 it is a thought in the mind, but it's also a, a, a desire of the soul, mm. a pursuit of the soul or a posturing of the soul itself. You know, like we are more than just our minds. We are more than just what we think about ourselves. Like there is a, an us, you know, dwelling inside of us. There's a, there's a you in you that can posture itself towards the light that's made for the light. It's made to be turned towards the light. And I'm even thinking now about like this, the stairwell, how it's a spiral staircase. I think there's a lot of significance in that. Um, I'm reading yeah, this book right now by John Ortberg, who was like a friend of Dallas Willard. He's a great yeah. writer as well. Um, but in Soul Keeping, he writes a lot about his, his relationship with Dallas Willard. And the cover of that book is a spiral staircase. Mm. And I was thinking about, you know, what is a spiral staircase? And it's basically, it's an object where you end up in the same place, but at a different elevation. So if you look at the very bottom stair and the very top stair, there's actually like a perfect line you can draw from the bottom and the top, but you are in a different relation to that space than you were at the beginning. Wow. And I think that's the whole idea of like a spiral staircase is it's one big turn. <laughs> it's one, <laughs> you know, it's actually just one massive turn. And I think that's, that's what's happening in our soul. It's, it's making one massive turn to the light. That's wow. the journey. It's like that. It's in between those two, those two steps, the one at the top and the bottom. It's one unraveling, you know, walk of trust. Wow. So it's an act of trust or an act of faith that moves us to turn away from these shadow sides yes. and pursue the light. Exactly. But it's also this act of trust that helps us remain there. It is very dangerous to think that, oh, I'm just going to believe today and that'll cover for the rest of time because these characters, man, these, these places of shadow, they're calling. Yeah. They're whispering, come back, come back. And they taunt you and tease you. And so it's not only that building faith and, and building trust, building this relationship with God is a one moment thing. It is an every day, every, I will trust you mm-hmm. today. Help me to have faith in you. Help me to lean in and surrender control. And so my, my question is, we talk about, you know, the physical side and how like routines in the, the two shadow sides aren't always helpful, Mm -hmm. but that's not to say that practices aren't helpful. Totally. They just have to come from a place of trust. That's right. And so as we sit in this place, basking in the light, 
and we hear the whispers of the two other places of the house, what are some practices that we can do that can, that can move us into deeper trust as we sit so that we can continue to reject these places that lie and continue to, to remain in the light of love? Hmm. I, I think of it a, a little different, I guess, only because the practices are like the necessary thing to get there. But once you're there, mm-hmm. um, once you're actually there, I have no idea how you remain there other than enjoying it. Mm. Other than to, it, it's like, you know, people use dating apps to find someone to date, <laughs> you know, like the, the practice of going through their dating accounts. But like once you find someone and you actually fall in love, it's like, yeah, the, the, the way to maintain that love, I guess, is yeah, to, to enjoy the love, <laughs> to do things that make you enjoy your lover, to, to stay in connection and love with that, that being, with that other person. And I think it's the same with the light. It's like we have to do these practices sometimes to, to get ourselves to that posture to remind ourselves that, you know, this is where I'm meant to be and this is where I am, seated in front of the light. But once you're there, I think if you try to make a formula out of that, um, it's kind of like trying to make a formula out of love itself. You know, if I try to make the perfect equation of how to keep my wife in love with me, mm. I'm actually not maybe doing love at that point. I'm, I'm trying to make it like a science, you know? Um, mm. So I think it's, it's enjoying, enjoying the, the other, enjoying the light. So I guess my question is that, are there not practices that can influence, that can build that relationship? Mm. Because you say you can use a dating app to find love, yeah. but then once you find love, you don't need that app. But it is good to go on dates with your wife totally. and it's good to do practices. Totally. So what are some practices yeah. that can, that we can uh, use to help ourselves mm. re- continue to reject? Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the silence and solitude, I think are, are totally paramount for me. Um, I mean, this, this painting, like, screams of silence (laughs) as a practice like it also definitely looks like it's early morning sunlight so he's pretty alone you know the early morning is a time of solitude because Mm. all of life in creation is not fully like awake yet yes so i think even in the painting itself yeah there's there's that alluding to solitude and silence is part of the key to the philosopher's way of life, to his practice of sitting there. Um, so I think we need to find space alone. Um, we need to find quiet space where all the things in us can kind of come to the surface in the light. Um, mm. Because in the busyness and the loudness of everyday life, we don't always have space for those things to come to light. And it's the same, I think, in, in marriages, right? You need quiet time alone together you need yes. you need to cut out the rest of the world to maintain your loving relationship with one another 
you need to, yes. to say, I'm drawing a firm boundary on everybody else, but you and me right now. Um, yeah, I was just trying yeah. to imagine like only having dates in like a very busy place. Yeah. Like, if my dates were only at the mall. Exactly. I mean, who, who goes to the mall anymore? That's such like an old, totally. old thing. But just, all right, let's, let's stick with the mall though. <laughs> Imagine going on dates at the mall with your, your wife. And that was the only time that you two were meant to connect. How challenging. <laughs> That's terrible. All the, all the lights, you have the noise, the people, the, the urges to buy things, the food, like there's just so much. But what if you went to an, a nice picnic mm. and you sat there and yeah, you, you ate some food, you had some good drink, but your attention was mainly focused on your significant other. Mm-hmm. You have to create an environment. We have to create space and time to deepen these things. Yeah. Which in in itself is another form of saying no to other things. Completely. To say, I'm going to create space and time. So I'm not going to create space and time to think about the stairwell, to think about mm. the fireplace. Yeah. I'm going to create an hour this morning mm. to sit and to surrender control through my silence and to listen to your love. Yeah. And then we've talked about this before, but like the gold standard for us is finding how to maintain that connection, not only in those times, but actually in the seasons of busyness or in the mundane, the everyday. How do you stay in love with the light and present to the light in the midst of the mall, (laughs) the mall of life, you know, because we also want to maintain connection there. But I completely agree that if you don't have those mountaintop moments of the picnics, of the private bedroom moments, the mall moments, I I don't think will ever be enough. I think Mm. Jesus was, was strict on getting space away from everybody for a reason. You know, he could have had his devotional connection with God anywhere. Um, But I think he, he chose to do it privately also as an example for us, but maybe because his soul needed it too, you know? that his human soul in a way needed that private alone time. And so he was constantly withdrawing and pulling away from people. That doesn't mean he was ever disconnected from God in the malls of life, in the busyness of the crowds, but it does mean there was something special to him about actually getting away that fed into those busier seasons. So there were moments of recharging and reminding Mm. so that when he was in the marketplace, he was still aware of his father's voice. That's right. And when we are in the busyness and we do not create those solitude spaces, it's very easy to forget the voice in, in, in the presence of so many other voices. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. So it's like many things of the kingdom. It's not a black and white thing <laughs> to say that disciplines are good. And disciplines are bad. It's just not totally black and white. Completely. It's so great. Completely. Like to say that, oh, I practice silence and solitude must mean that I trust God. Or to say that I do this or say that I do that, we easily fall in line with the character at the, the fireplace. Exactly. Boxes. But 
from what I'm understanding, these are tools to an end. That's these oh, are, that's it, Jared. And that's these are it. means and tools to the tool belt to move us to where? With Jesus. Yes. To remain in his love. And if it becomes the if the practice becomes the shining moment, mm-hmm. it's lost its place. Yes. It's, oh my gosh. That's exactly it. Because that that is the issue of the servant at the fire. And that is sometimes my biggest issue is the idea of making the practices the end goal. They, they, they come into that position of being the most important thing that I need to do these practices to maintain connection when, again, like if you're on a date and you're thinking, I need to do this date so well to maintain the connection and you never move beyond practicing dating you know, or practicing having a good time to actually enjoying and being with the other, you're totally misusing that practice. Like Mm. the practice is not the end. The practice is a means to the end. But once you're, once you've arrived at the end, the practices actually, they kind of fade into the background. They, They just kind of peel away. And it's almost like, I think sometimes of the practices like starting a fire, it's like flint and stone, you know, you strike these things together, but once you actually have a spark and a fire is burning, you don't need the tools anymore. You don't need those practices anymore until, until you feel that you've lost the flame. And I almost wonder if another way of saying is kind of how brother Lawrence would say it, that, that at first these disciplines would feel like discipline. Yeah. But after a while, they were no longer disciplines. They were just out of enjoyment. That's it. So it's not to say that, oh, these practices and these disciplines completely sway away and they're no longer a part of our life because we don't need them anymore. Mm -hmm. No, they become our life. They're no longer these disciplines. I sit in silence and solitude, Mm -hmm. not anymore as this realigning my soul, but I sit in silence and solitude because I love his presence. That's it right there. And so there's this, over time, this transition of, this is going to be good for me. And no, I love this to death. This is so good. And it's a fine line Yeah, because we as humans, man, we cling to like the, the, the physical, we cling to the routine to Mm. convince ourselves that we are doing enough. Yes. But like you said, that's how we get lost. That's how we lose our way. And we find ourselves becoming human doings instead of human beings. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, it's, we come to love the practices only because they're connecting us with him, you know, but practices themselves are exhausting if they are not connecting you with him. Yeah. They become a burden. They become that fire stoking problem of needing to keep it, you know, alive all the time. But they become, you're right, the most enjoyable things when they're actually um, pathways to connection with your love, connection with the light of love. Yes. In, in a way, it's another, another test of trust mm. that, all right, I'm doing these things and I'm going to trust that these things, these practices mm. are going to lead me to, to health, but I'm going to also not abide to them. Mm. I'm going to abide to, I'm going to trust that these things cannot be my crutch. That's right. That's right. 
which is really hard. Exactly. That's it's you really have to hard. like transcend beyond them. Then that's that's another act of trust. It's to say, I'm actually not the one keeping this relationship alive at the end of the day. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not the one, you know, stirring up the flame. It's like I'm coming to the flame. I'm coming to the to the raging fire of the sun. Mm. But he's he's the source of light. I am not. Yes. Which is a beautiful and terrifying task to yeah. say that all of this comes down to mm. Jesus, I trust you. Mm. So, so much easier said than done. Yeah. But Jesus, I trust you. So Jesus, help us trust you. So much.